Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have set us on a great adventure that leads ultimately to eternity with you, and in this life gives meaning and purpose in ways that no one who's not on the journey will ever understand. God, I pray right now that you would open each of our hearts, that your spirit would speak to us, that we would receive your message today, and that you would be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. Back in September, we kicked off the fall with a series that was titled, You Are Here. And the point of that series is sort of the point of the whole fall up until the end of uh, December, which is that each of us is at a certain specific place in our relationship with God in Jesus Christ. And at that time, we said there are four stages of spiritual growth. And there's actually a fifth location which doesn't acknowledge that there is a God or really doesn't care if there's a God. And I walked across the stage in various places and pointed out those stages. And I said that the, that fifth location is sort of over here. And uh, this group of people are called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, by the Pew Foundation, which says that this group is larger than it's ever been in the history of America. 19.6% of Americans, I'm going to step out of there for a second, 19.6% of Americans are in the nun category. They either don't believe there's a God, they don't care if there's a God, or they don't have any affiliation with any religion. And if you're 30 or under, one out of three of you is in that category. That's a That's a point that needs to be addressed in an entire message series, which we're actually going to do at Easter this coming year. But what we need to know right now is that if they're going to move out of that group, we need to give them some compelling reasons to believe in God. And then the four stages, they start with explorer, and explorer is a person who's open to the idea of God, maybe believes there is a God, but isn't so sure about Jesus. And then the second stage is the stage called believer. In the believer stage, somebody walks out of the the fifth location as a nun or as an explorer and says, I believe there's a God. I believe he has a son named Jesus. I believe that Jesus came to live a perfect life that I couldn't live and to die uh, die a death on the cross that I should have died and that he rose from the dead and he is in heaven and he's going to come back. And so we believe and we're born again according to Jesus, to use his term for that. We're saved according to the Apostle Paul. That's the term he uses in Romans chapter 10 and then we start this journey and the journey moves on to disciple and a disciple is a person who's not just a believer in Jesus Christ but now Jesus is really important and you're starting to practice the disciplines of prayer and Bible study maybe fasting and and journaling all these different disciplines because Jesus is so important that you're taking him to work with you now you're taking him to school with you wherever you are you want Jesus to be with you and then the fourth stage is called the spirit led follower which that's where we understand that apart from the spirit of God the Holy Spirit living in us we're never going to be and we're never going to do everything that God created us to be and do and the reality is the great adventure is really starting to explode in our lives when we wake up every morning and we say spirit fill me and let me do what you call me to do today let me be what I've been created to be since the foundation of the universe and so that's what we talked about and today what we're going to do is we're going to ask a question and it's a very important question about whether we're really where we think we are And the title of today's message is, You Are Here or Are You? In other words, if I think I'm a disciple, 
Am I really a disciple? Am I really one who has taken Jesus into my life in such a way that I'm serious about studying his word? I'm serious about prayer. I'm serious about taking with me wherever I go, or I should say that I I go wherever he takes me in my everyday life. Am I really a disciple just because I think I am? And as we look at the scripture today, we're going to find that Jesus makes it very clear that we're not always where we think we are. And so this scripture, if you're in the none category today, you're in the explorer category, this isn't so much to, to let you know whether you're where you think you are, because you probably are, but it's to give you a challenge to move from where you are into the believer category. But for all of you in the room, and for me, as we consider whether we're believers or we're disciples or we're spirit-led, are we really... And the way we're going to get at that is through today's take-home point. And for those of you who are new here today, we seek to make one point every week. And that point is one we want to reflect on and live out in the week ahead. And here is this week's take-home point. Jesus made it clear that actions speak louder than words. Now, we've all heard that, that actions speak louder than words. And, And we know that it's true because people don't always believe what we say, but they generally believe what we do. For example, if a, if, a, if a man says, son, I love you more than anything in the world, and you're more important to me than anything in the world, and yet works 80 or 90 hours a week and never spends any time with his son, over time the son starts to believe the 80, 90 hours at work rather than the protestations that I love you so much. Or if, if somebody says, please forgive me for the hundredth time, I'll never do that again. What happens is we start to believe the hundred times rather than a promise never to do it again. And what we're going to do today as we turn into the the word of God is we're going to look at a passage where Jesus is speaking. And he's going to offer us three actions which will help us to see whether we really are where we think we are. We're going to look at three actions. If we're doing these three things, then we're going to know that we probably are a disciple if we think we are, or we probably are spirit-led if we think we are, rather than just fooling ourselves, because sometimes we do that as people. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I would encourage you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book of the New Testament. The Bible's divided up into an Old Testament, two-thirds of the Bible, and a New Testament, which is the final third. Matthew is the first book, and it's called a gospel, and there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that record the birth of Jesus, the life and teaching of Jesus, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and his return to heaven. So today we're going to turn to Matthew 7, verse 13, and we're going to do the same thing we did last week, which is we're going to take a little slice of the passage at a time, and we're going to reflect on it. So here it is. Jesus said this, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way, that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. So what Jesus tells us at the very beginning is there are parameters, there are boundaries, there are borders for this life that we call the Christian life. That you can't follow Jesus and do whatever you want. And actually that's why a lot of people are nuns and a lot of people are explorers because they don't really want anybody to tell them what to do. They want to have freedom in their life and all of us want to have freedom and we think we should be able to do whatever we want. Hey, we're Americans, right? We can do whatever we want. The truth of the matter is everyday life teaches us that we can't do whatever we want without discipline if we want to accomplish anything. For example, if I want to bend over and tie my shoes without having to hold my breath, I have to have the discipline to exercise and eat properly so that I'll weigh 210 pounds or less. I'm at 214, 225 back in October, so I'm getting there. Four more pounds and I'll be able to not go, okay? 
Think about a concert pianist. Concert pianists, what do they do? They limit their freedom to do whatever they want to in the immediate so that they can practice hours and hours and hours every day, every day, so that one day they can sit up on a stage and when they use their fingers and their feet to play music, we go, wow, that's incredible. I love the old NFL commercial that shows a guy practicing a, basically an out pattern. And out, if you don't know what football is, it doesn't matter. But okay, he's practicing running down and going out like this and catching the ball. And, and in the background, the narrator says, an amateur practices until he gets it right. A professional practices until he can't get it wrong. You see, discipline is necessary in sports. It's necessary in music. It's even necessary in tying our shoes when we get to be 58. So why would we think that discipline would not be necessary in participating in the greatest adventure ever, the adventure of living our lives through God in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus says that the road that leads to life, to heaven, ultimately, and to a good life while we're here on earth, starts with a gate, and the gate is narrow. Now, I know it's a metaphor, but what he's saying is, if you walked up to a gate that was narrow and you had a lot of baggage, what would you have to do in order to go through the gate? (laughs) Put down the baggage, right? So the question today is, what baggage are you carrying with you? What baggage am I carrying with me that we need to put down so we can go through the narrow gate? Maybe it's a relationship that we need to let go of or one that we need to repair, Maybe it's a habit or an addiction that we need to let outside the gate so we can go through the gate. Maybe it's a faulty belief that there's no gate. You know, that there is no restriction. Maybe we need to leave that faulty belief outside so we can enter the gate. And then once we enter the gate, guess what? The road's narrow, so we can't drift on a narrow road. What happens when we drift on a narrow road? What happens is we end up on the highway that leads to hell. It's very simple. There are two highways. No, there's one highway. It's wide. It's broad. It gates open. I mean, anybody can go through that gate. You sort of wake up in the morning and fall down. You'll be on that highway. It leads to hell. But the, but the gate is narrow, and the way is straight and narrow and difficult that leads to life, and very few find it. So, you know, we live in a world where mediocrity and entitlement are celebrated, don't we? And if we seek to do what's excellent In the power of the Holy Spirit, people will look at us and they will ridicule us. And here's the challenge. The challenge is that when they do that, we have to understand. They don't understand. And so instead of looking down on them or instead of being upset with them, what we need to do is we need to encourage them. And we need to help them to find their way off of that wide highway onto the narrow road with us. Now, the narrow road is so narrow that sometimes we walk single file because that's how narrow it is. But we're never supposed to walk it alone. Jesus said few find it, but he didn't mean that he didn't want many people to find it. He wants everybody to find it. And part of our task as followers of Jesus is to live our lives in excellence in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can bring other people on the journey with us. So let's look at the second action. The first action, of course, is to go through the narrow gate and then walk the narrow road. And here's what Jesus said is second. Second, he says, beware of false prophets. Who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. 
So using fruit trees and thorn bushes, what Jesus says is that good produces good and evil produces evil. That's just the way it is. Something that's evil can't produce good and something that's good can't produce evil. Perhaps no teaching of Jesus, I believe, is more challenging and misunderstood than this particular one. The reason I say that is because there are people in every age, every age of church history, there have been Christians who thought they were the only ones who were getting it right. And that most Christians were actually not Christians at all, that most people are actually standing over here among the nuns. We think that we're Christians, but we're really not Christians. That's the way that some people throughout history, because you see, if you were really a Christian, you would be really good all the time. Now, it's interesting because one time Jesus was walking along the road and this young man walked up to him, rich young man actually, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus looked at the man and said, why do you call me good? There isn't anyone good but God alone. In other words, only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are good. And so why are you asking me what's good or calling me good, and Jesus knew the young man understood something. This is God I'm talking to, and so I know he's good. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus said that only God is good, and yet here in this passage, he says that we have to produce good fruit. So was he contradicting himself? No. And this is the key. You see, what Jesus was saying in that passage we just read is that goodness comes out. When there's goodness in a person, it comes out. And the goodness isn't there naturally in people. I mean, trees, apple trees produce apples. Grapevines produce grapes. That's all they do. You will never see thorns growing on a, a, a grapevine. But the truth is, you will see sin in Christians. In, in fact, you know, this, is, this hits very close to home for me because there's, there are a few people here in the community still saying, uh, you know, and, and I believe they're followers of Jesus, but they're still saying that some of the leaders here at New Life sin. No kidding. Okay? The closer I get to Jesus, the more I walk along this path and the more spirit-filled I become, the more I realize the sin that's in my life the more I realize that there's nothing good in me. In fact, I wasn't born good. I'm never going to become good. The goodness that I receive is imputed righteousness. That's the theological term. God puts the goodness in me. God puts the goodness in you. So when we're born again, something amazing happens. The amazing thing that happens is I'm given a new nature. You're given a new nature. We're spiritually born again. And, and guess what? How many of you have ever seen somebody born a physical birth, okay, you hear that the baby's born six foot two, 180 pounds, 65 years old. Did that ever happen? No, never happens, right? In the same way, nobody is born spiritually perfect. In fact, no one ever is spiritually perfect except for Jesus because of this, because we have freedom to choose. Because we have the ability every moment of every day to say, Spirit, fill me up. And when we listen, there will be goodness come out of our lives as surely as apples grow on apple trees. And as surely as goodness is inherent to God. Because it is God in us that does the good in us. I am never going to be better than I was when I was born in my own sinful nature. So let's look at the last passage because it sort of helps us with this whole understanding of what goodness is and what it isn't. And here, here's what Jesus says. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and we cast out demons in your name, and we perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So every week here at New Life, we've already done it once. I'm going to do it again right now. We always ask people to make a commitment. We ask people to commit their lives to Jesus Christ as Savior, which means that he will save you from sin. He will save you from death. He will save you from the coming wrath of God. And we ask you to make him your Lord, which means master, your owner. You transfer ownership. That's what we, every time we come here, we ask you that at least once. And some, sometimes we ask you two or three times. And this fall, we have seen more people make that commitment than we've ever seen before. But what Jesus says is, when that happens, it isn't always real. What he says is that some people who think they made that commitment are actually living still in their own power. That, that, that instead of coming from the, the, the nun category where they don't even believe there's a God or they don't care that there's a God, instead of coming from the explorer category and actually being born again, what happens is they say, you know what, I read this stuff, I, I understand this stuff, and I'm going to do this stuff. And I do this stuff, 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 and I'm such a good person. And, and I go to heaven one day, and I'm standing in front of Jesus, because all of us are going to stand in front of Jesus one day. And we say, look at me, Jesus. And Jesus says, what? And we say, well, look at me. I mean, I... I did such amazing things, man, in your name. You know, I, I prophesied and I, I cast out demons. I, I did miracles in your name because what a good person I am. And Jesus says, uh, I don't know you. You're going to have to leave. And that's going to be a big shock because all this time the person thought they were a good person. All this time they thought they were saved Actually, you know, the good people don't really think they need to be saved. That's how you can tell, oh, I don't want to be born again. I don't want to be one of those people. Well, if you don't want to be one of those people, then welcome to hell. I guess that's pretty blunt. But if you don't want to be born again, if I don't want to be born again, what that means is I'm going to work my way to hell all the while thinking I'm good, all the while thinking I'm a disciple, I'm spirit-led, and it's always just going to be me. And what Jesus said is when that moment comes, when we stand in front of him, we don't want to be saying, I did all this cool stuff. What we want to be saying is, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for all you did. You see, the difference between religion and a relationship with God in Jesus Christ is religion is seeking to be good and good and good and good and better and better and better and better and best so that one day God will say, good job and give us a gold star in our forehead doesn't work that way because no one's good not even one we're all sinners we've all fallen short of the glory of God that's what Jesus is saying in this passage and that's what so many people misunderstand in this passage and so what they say is well, look at you you're not as good as me so I must be good you know who's who did that to Jesus the Pharisees the Pharisees are the spiritual answer of all ancestor of all good people the Pharisees are the spiritual ancestor of all the religious people who have ever lived who said, look at me, look how good I am. And what did the Pharisees do? They looked at Jesus and they said, he, he eats with sinners. Man, he, he hangs out with the worst people in the world. He can't be good. And what Jesus said was, hey, 
Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to have uh, up on the screen three statements. And these statements are so pivotal. I and mean, they're the most important things that we can understand about God and about us. And the first one is that Jesus alone is good. That Jesus saved us by his work. And that our work is to believe in him. Now, you say, where did you get that from, Chris? Did you make that up? Nope. I got it from the Bible. I, I remember whenever the rich young man came up to Jesus and he said, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Jesus said, only God is good, so <laughs> Jesus is God, so only Jesus is good. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're the only good. In the world, they're good. Secondly, Jesus saved us by his work. You see, some people don't like that. People over here in the Explorer thing, people over here. And in fact, here's the thing. I know people over here in this group, they are far better than I am. They're, they're morally perfect. They never say crap or anything like that. Sorry, Nancy. Okay. So they don't do anything wrong in their minds. They don't. And one day they're going to be in hell and they're going to go, why am I in hell? Because I'm so good. And, and the thing that Jesus said when he came is, it's not your father's will in heaven that even one of these little ones should perish. And the little one isn't children, it's everyone is a little one to God. And Jesus said, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to do the work because we couldn't. And that's the difference between Jesus and religion. Religion is I work and I look good. And Jesus came and said, you look terrible, but I'm going to make you good. And then the last thing is, our work is to believe in him. You see, what happened is, one day the Jews and Jesus were having an argument, which happened quite frequently, and here's what it says in John chapter 6, verse 28. They, then they, that's the Jews, asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Wow, that's easy. All I have to do is believe. All I have to do is move from the darkness. I have to move from the nunness. I have to move from being an explorer to saying, I believe. And the rest is up to God. And that's the truth. Now here's where it gets a little bit challenging. Because no one does more damage to the kingdom of God than the one who says, look at me. I'm such a good person. And you all aren't so good. And because you aren't so good, you aren't a Christian. And so let me just tell you, until you, until you do this and this and this, until you believe that and that and that, you're never going to go to heaven. Guess what? The only way to heaven is Jesus. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, there are those who have taken this step from the darkness or from the explorer and become believers, genuinely have become believers, and then said, you know what? I don't really want to be a disciple. I don't really want to be spirit-led. I just want to go to heaven when I die. That's what I want. I just want to be saved. And, and you know, that isn't enough. It isn't enough not because you won't go to heaven when you die. It's because you might live a long time before you die. And why would you want to be sitting here waiting for the bus to come for the rest of your life when God created us for a great adventure, when God created us to become disciples and spirit-led people so that our lives can be so meaningful and so purposeful that we can transform the world back into what it was originally supposed to be? Somebody said to me last night, what do you do with what happened in San Bernardino this week in your little spectrum of things here? And I said, well, you know what? 
The first thing I do is I pray. The second thing I do is I recognize what Aquinas and Augustine and others have said. When innocent lives are being taken, sometimes you have to step up and do something about it. And you can disagree with me about that. People of good conscience do disagree. But really what has to happen is people have to understand that lies are lies and truth is truth. And that if all of us who are Christians would stop trying to be better than everybody else, on the one hand, which might mean that we're not Christians, or on the other hand, if we would actually just live into the power that God has given us, then, then people would see lies for what they are, lies. This is crucial, folks, because there are people who think they're disciples today. They're standing here. They think they're disciples. And, and those people who say they're not really, they're over there in the dark, they're telling the truth because some people who are standing here thinking they're disciples are in the dark because it's all about me. And then there are those, and there's a bunch of people that are here, and, and, and they're believers, and they're just treading water. And they're coming to church and they're, you know, maybe even in a small group or maybe they go on a mission trip and they go, whoa, look at me. As I said, I know people that aren't believers who are good people, great people, wonderful people. They're doing amazing things, better than I am. That doesn't make what Jesus did wrong or false or anything. It just means that sometimes I don't live into everything God created me to be. And once I do, I will certainly not be pointing any fingers at anybody else. Because I will know. That the reason I'm here is not so you can, you know, applaud. The reason that I am spirit-led is because the spirit's leading. <laughs> and because now my life is so different than it used to be. And not because I'm good, because God is the only one who's good. But because God's goodness comes out just as apples grow on apple trees and grape, grapes grow on grapevines. And consistently what happens is my life becomes a, a, a reflection you, the, the best thing I could ever do is for somebody to say, Chris, you're like the moon. The moon reflects the light of the sun. The moon is dead and dark. But at night, it's really bright, isn't it? Because the light of the sun reflects off of it. And I'm dead and dark apart from Jesus. But whenever the light of Jesus shines in, then my life is a light to other people. That's why Jesus said that we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And so here's today's commitment. I will live my faith in Jesus so others will see him through me. I will live, I will live my faith in Jesus so others will see him through me. That's the goal, folks, for all of us. In fact, the thing that's so powerful is you could be right here today. You could actually be in the dark. And you could say, you know what he's saying makes a lot of sense to me. And I don't know why I never thought about this before. But there has to be a God because there's order and there's creation. And there has to be a God because Jesus, you know, what he did is so amazing. Nobody but a God would do that. And so I say, I'm going to get out of the dark. I'm going to get out of exploring. I'm going to become a believer. And that's the step of faith. It's the most important step of faith of all because it takes you off the wide highway and gets you on the narrow road. But let's say we did that. We did that. So now what? So now we live our faith in such a way that we say, I know Jesus is real, so I'm going to read the word of God. Not so I can check it off my to-do list, but so I can understand who he is better than I ever have. So I can love him more and be more faithful to him. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill me up because I know that I'm not a good person. And I'm never going to be. But I can do good and actually, that's what we are created to do, good works. In fact, if you read Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 10, it tells us that we can't do anything. It's a gift. Everything about our lives is a gift from God. Everything about the new life is a gift from God. But we were created to do good works. We're God's masterpiece. 
So let's say that we're here today. We're a disciple today. We really are. This is where we are. So then on the great adventure, the next step is right here. And the next step will be right here. And the next step will be right here. And one day we'll get closer and closer and closer to being like Jesus every moment of every day of our lives. And we won't stand up and go, look at me. We'll stand up and go, look at him. In fact, people will start to say, hey, you know what? You're so different. You used to be such an arrogant, you know, son of a gun. You used to be such a jerk. You used to be such a this or a such a that. And now it's almost, it's, like, it's sort of like you're like Jesus. Yes, it is sort of like that. Praise God. That's what the, the great adventure is. The great adventure is letting Jesus Christ live in us more and more and more and more so that one day, like Paul, we can say, it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. And wherever we are today, now here's the thing, folks. If you are one of those people who think you're a disciple, but you're actually over there in the dark, same process is necessary for you that's necessary for somebody that is in the dark. You need to come back and say, okay, I thought I was a believer, but actually, from what Pastor Chris has been saying, I think I might not be. I think I might be just fooling myself. You don't want to wake up someday in front of Jesus and say, hey, I, I prophesied in your name, and I cast out demons in your name, and I did miracles in your name, and he says, uh, sorry, I don't know your name. Guess you've got to go. So we want to wake up one day either with him in front of us because he came back or with him in front of us because we went to him. And what we want to hear is what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master's kingdom. And that only happens to not such good people or evil people or really, really good people who give up all of that for a new life and who grow up day by day by day into what we were created to be because actions really do speak louder than words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for all your blessings in our lives. Thank you that because of your son Jesus, we can be what we cannot be, good. God, we pray that your goodness comes to us, not because of our effort, but we do want to do as much as we can do but because of your grace, because of your salvation. And so I pray that your spirit would be poured into each of us, either for the first time or the 10,000th time, God. I pray that we would be the people that you created us to be before the foundation of the universe and that we would do the good works that you have called us to do because we are your masterpieces. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.